Welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, we invite a guest or guests to share their thriving stories of being black, brown, red, yellow in white spaces. Tonight's topic, to be young, gifted, and black. Yep. We're actually talking to 20-somethings or millennials about their journey in white spaces and how they have more than survived and thrived. I guarantee you, at the end of this conversation, you will be as impressed by them as I was. First up, Prashanta Johnson is a recent graduate of Hampton University, where she received a Bachelor's of Science in Biology and a graduate of Eastern Carolina University in their Master's of Public Health program, their Master's of Public Health. Her concentration is in community health and health behaviors. Kashanda worked as a graduate assistant in the Public Health Department, where she conducted research about the stigma surrounding tuberculosis. Kashanda remained active in a community and served on several councils and as a rep for the public health organization or the Melanin Healthcare Professionals Group. She's also served her community as a member of the IOTA Kappa Omega chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Kashanda's goal is to serve her community as a healthcare worker where she would like to create interventions for minority communities along with educating communities of color. She is currently a project management specialist at RTI International, along with working as an equity program associate for EV Hybrid Noir. Dr. Chib Awanaka, or Dr. Chib, was born in Nigeria and raised in Newark, New Jersey. He attended high school at Wyoming Seminary College Preparatory School. He earned his BS in environmental marketing from Susquehanna University, his master's in sustainable systems for Rochester Institute of Technology, and his doctorate in education from the University of Rochester. Dr. Chib has launched not one, but two businesses while in graduate school. One called Chib Designed It, LLC, a web design company, and GOAT, G-O-A-T Industries, LLC, a research and development company committed to inventing technologies that would establish a sustainable world. Dr. Chib is passionate about a plethora of matters such as environmental health, social justice, education, sports, and his new wife. Chib is also passionate about his faith and gives Christ all the credit for everything in his life. Anthony Freeman is a graduate from Hampton University with a BA in history and a master's of library information sciences from the University of College Park. He currently works in the White House as a record management analyst in the Office of Records Management. He is a member of IOTA Phi Theta Fraternity Incorporated. And our last superstar, Hailing from Charlotte, North Carolina, Troy Pryor is a recent graduate of the Pennsylvania State University, where she majored in sociology with a minor in French. 
and Francophone Studies. While at Penn State, Troy was a member of the student government and the president of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, the Delta Gamma chapter, and a volunteer for Thong. She interned with the Congressional Black Caucus, the United States Attorney's Office, and is currently a paralegal at the Department of Justice. Daughters, please welcome to the podcast, Troy, Dr. Chib, Karshanda, and Anthony. Woohoo! Thank you. Thank you. Glad Thank to be you. here. Yeah. Glad to be here. Thank you. So I want to start off um, just by talking some about how you think about issues of diversity and uh, what your thoughts are about your relationships with white people in general. Anthony, why don't you start? So I guess my relationships with white people uh, are fairly complicated because, so I grew up in actually Texas. I'm actually also a California native, um, but you know, there's been narratives of just white oppression of black people for centuries. And that is true, but I'm, I guess, is it blessed to say I, that hasn't been completely my experience. I have experienced racism and um, I'm thinking of a couple of different situations, but um, a lot of people who have seen me grow and actually pushed me uh, themselves to kind of be all I can be have happened to be white. So I consider that, you know, a stroke of good fortune, good luck, a blessing, whatever you would like to call it, depending on how you see the world. But at the same time, I know that, you know, I always have to watch my back because my parents, you know, being the success stories that they are, they've told me, and you may have heard this yourselves, that we have to, you know, work twice as hard, be twice as good, just to get half as much credit. And I don't completely agree with that in a lot of situations, but I do see it in our society. And... So about, about me, I work for the White House. And so, you know, but without some connections that my father has made that are probably, you know, a lot of them are white that I wouldn't have gotten there. But, you know, I am a special case. I Like not everybody can say they've been where I've been. And I don't want to take away from anyone here, nor do I want to take away from what our society largely experiences. So that's just me. Thank you for that. Who'd like to go next? Yeah. <laughs> so just to add on kind <laughs> of what Anthony said about my relationship with white people, it's been very interesting um, because like Anthony, I work kind mm-hmm. of in a field where it's predominantly white. Um, I work with e-mobility um, electric mm-hmm. vehicles, um, and I also work for uh yeah huge research company. Uh, So within that, I'm many times the only black person on the call. So they look for me or they look to me for advice, um, kind of a one size fits all type of thing. But it's also been very interesting because like Anthony said, growing up, I was in many activities where my Girl Scout leaders, different teachers, coaches happened to be white and they also poured into me and believed in me. Um, And it's been especially interesting because my relationship 
with white people has kind of changed within the past few years from going to an HBCU undergrad to completing my master's at a PWI and kind of navigating a new mm-hmm. territory, um, especially within becoming an adult and into adulthood. That has been very interesting. I think the one thing that I can say I've noticed is the difference between, I guess, mentality um, or perceptions towards Black people within different age groups, depending on if they're younger or if they're a little older, um, whether they're like a baby boomer or a millennial or it, that 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 generation kind of fosters their attitudes, their acceptance, uh, different attitudes towards racism. Uh, that's also been very interesting for me. Dr. Chip? All right, so for me, it's, Actually, I've, I've had really great relationships with white people. Um, coming from, you know, the, the city in Newark, New Jersey, I went to a boarding school in a predominantly white area called Wyoming Seminary Upper School. And that was where I really was able to flourish in so many ways. A lot of, a lot of people, you know, the vast majority of teachers were white, and they poured into me a lot, as Krishanda was saying. They, pour, they challenged me, pushed me. Um, they saw me as better than I saw myself in many ways. Um, and I really appreciated that. And then when I went to college, I went to a PWI. My master's was at a PWI as well as my doctorate. And so I've been around white people my whole life, pretty much. Uh, and I've had really great relationships. Have I seen, you know, issues? Um, yes, I have seen issues, uh, but I've seen them in many, many backgrounds, many people. And there's no one one group of people who are uh, completely innocent of anything in, in that regard. Uh, but white people has been a really good relationship. A lot of close friends I have are white, uh, and I enjoy those relationships. Um, on the other spectrum, I have seen the the difficulties. I've seen the racism. I've seen threats. You know, and it's funny because it's a, a lot of times there's white people who are making me aware of those things because I, I didn't realize that oh, that was a coded message or this. And it's like a white person is telling me, yeah, yeah, from where we're from, that that's this is what that means, and they're actually demeaning you. And so I have some ignorance in that. Other things were blatant right in my face. I see it. Um, so, but overall, the relationship has been, been very good and actually very healthy. Thank you, Chip. Go ahead. Okay, I guess it's me. <laughs> um, yeah, I I grew up in predominantly white areas my entire life. Um, I didn't really. I mean, you know, besides going to uh, go visit my family and things like that, or maybe sometimes I was involved in like sports. But for the most part, I mean, where I lived in Charlotte, it was mostly white. Um, and I have pretty good relationships with white people. I think over time, um, as I've, you know, gotten to go through college and, you know, experience more life, um, speaking out about certain things has definitely taken a toll on some of my relationships or it's made some of them stronger. Um, I think like when I was in college, I, I, the people that I chose to be around, you know, loved me no matter what. And so it wasn't ever really a conversation of oh you know you're white and I'm black it was really just you know we're going to be friends this is what it means to have a genuine friendship um I ha- I've had a lot of white people pour into me um over the years and you know I'm really appreciative of that um but I would say I will say in the past few years that things have gotten much different um with you know people I've known for a very long time I've been friends with them and their family for you know 10 years plus and now you know you have to have a little bit harder conversations about what's going on and so um I'm I'm appreciative of getting to 
see the evolution and having these harder conversations uh, because, you know, to me, it's like, you can't have right. one without the other. You can't, you know, be my friend and say, Hey, I'm really supportive of you and in this space. But then on the other hand, on the back end, you know, you're saying X, Y, Z about who, um, I think it's been a lot of, um, trying to make me the exception to whatever rules Indeed. that they have in their head. And that has been a lot to um, unpack, you know, always being the one. I work for the Department of Justice now, been, you know, at the Congressional Black Caucus, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and, you know, things that I've heard, it's, it's always, you know, oh, well, you're, you're, but you're not like that. What do you mean? What, what, what do you mean I'm not like that? You know? So, yeah. So what's, what's, thank you for that, all of you. And, and you kind of landed exactly where I, I, I thought you might. Well, there's been some, some good things and there have been some things that have been complicated. And I'm wondering if you could share maybe um, an incident or what you've noticed about themes about how racism shows up um, in your own life. Okay, so this is Troy. Going to a PWI, um, I really had to fight for the experience uh, that I had, which was, you know, being able to, I, I'm an AKA, so being able to flourish in the black community at the PWI and also flourish in, you know, whatever other community um, there is. But there have been moments and I'm a type one diabetic. So not only do I get to see, you know, from the one end of, of people being, you know, racist, I also get to see ableist too. People don't know I'm diabetic. You can't see my pup necessarily, but I get to hear a lot of those conversations. Um, I think my freshman year, I uh, went to a fraternity party and with, you know, a few people and I was with the same group as everybody else. And there were two of us that were black and they didn't want to let us two in, but they wanted to let everybody else in. And so that was my first real college encounter. Now, the first time um, I would say, I talk about this often now because I think as we get older, we start to reflect on our experiences a lot more than, you know, when you're in the thick of it. Um, I was going to a dance with someone in the fifth grade, right? And he calls me up before the dance and he goes, I can't go with you to the dance because, you know, my mom said you're black and, and I can't go with you. I think that was my first introduction, really, to, oh my gosh, people really think this way. Um, because I'd just been around the same thing for, you know, I was, what, 11? 11 years of my life and I hadn't really heard anyone say anything. So that was my first introduction to, oh, so, you know, people do think I'm different. People do have a certain way of thinking. And so um, I think that's such a young age for you to be hit with that. But I know that a lot of people experience it much younger. So Nice. Thank you. Uh, I guess I'll go next. This is Anthony. And kind of like Troy, mine, uh, I actually thought about this one. Mine actually started a little bit uh, like hers in the fifth grade. So, you know, I had a friend of mine, um, she was female, white female, um, but it wasn't until I had graduated and moved on to middle school, and my mother actually had to read, like, uh, relay this to me, um, that the time we would, you know, we would talk and, you know, spend together at, you know, at recess and things like that, her, it turns out her mother, you know, because I was black and one of the few black kids in an uh, in an otherwise white area, um, she she wasn't super fond of that, and you know I couldn't at the time perceive why. You know I thought we could we could largely work past it. That was not something 
necessarily we were quite exposed to, at least not, not as much as some other people might in other areas, but that wasn't the biggest one. I think the start was actually during a basketball game, I think in like the eighth grade. Um, I was playing for my dad's rec team, and, you know, I think I got fouled by a white kid, and, you know, I remember the N-word came flying out of his mouth and twice, and I didn't do anything at that point because I, I think we won the game by, like, two points anyway, but, you know, I think about that, and I'm just like, maybe I should have done something because I don't need that kind of disrespect in my life. Like, what I've been ejected, sure, but... I wonder to this day, you know, um, and then this um, this last one, I remember. Um, so I'm actually on dating apps. I'm not afraid to admit that. Um, and... That's how I met Mr. Wharton. So you're good in good company. OK, <laughs> well, I think it's good to know. Um, but I think I think it was Tinder. Oh, my gosh, Tinder. I uh, actually matched uh, with one girl. I think I. When, this was when I still had Snapchat, and long story short, she said, oh, my family doesn't like colored folks. And I'm just like, did she tell, it was like a Booker T moment. Tell me she didn't just say that. <laughs> like, it, I, I just, it, 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 even today, it still blows my mind that people can still think like this and it be considered okay in society, you know? I know this is the world we live in, but this is why I'm glad we're having this conversation, especially with the four of us being as young as we are. Like, even, you know, though we've had experiences that have been positive with white people, we all know that this is far from okay, especially in the 21st century. So, Well, and we haven't been colored for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you should tell us at the NAACP. But <laughs> <laughs> touche. Uh, uh, this is Dr. Chib. Uh, for me, you know, I was I was prepared to see racism. Um, so when before I went to boarding school, the program that I went through called the White Foundation. That's a funny thing, yeah. But it's W I G H T. They helped inner city youth find access to higher quality education in private schools, mainly boarding schools. And so if you make it through their program, they'll help you in terms of finding the school, preparing your application, potentially getting some funding to go to those schools. So when I went through that program, they prepared us to be able to see racism, but more importantly, how to how to properly react to it if it does occur. Um, they understand they, they tell us to focus on the main objective, which is your education. If something happens, you don't need to start fights, anything of that nature. You can report it, all this other stuff, but understand that you are very valuable, you know, know your worth. X, Y, and Z, all that stuff, um, just to keep us calm in all situations and make sure that we finish what we came, what we started. And did I see racism? I did see racism from the from the first year I was there, right? But it didn't shock me because I was prepared to see it and I knew how to react to it. Right. Um, and then I even saw when um, someone that I knew they were walking across the street and a white kid and it was a Jeep. I, re I remember this big black Jeep Wrangler and my friend is walking across the street and they stop him, you know, they're making a left turn. They stop him while he's in the middle of that street when he had the right of way to walk and they stop him right in front and they, they screamed at him, go back to your effing country, um, you effing, and they said the S word and y'all know what that is. And so, and they spit in his face and they kept driving off. 
And that was one of my big instances. You know, I saw when I went to a basketball game and the crowd was all white and they were screaming the S word to our point guard who was Latino. And every time he dribbled, they see the S word, they're throwing bullet shells on the court. They were threatening us. They tried to attack us, all this stuff. So I've seen it in those kind of extremes. Um, the microaggressions, I've seen those as well. Um, but I'll be honest with you, for example, well, I'm not going to, this is not a microaggression, but playing soccer, one of my teammates actually called me the N word because he was having a difficult time getting through, you know, like he's a midfielder, I'm a defender and he's trying to get past me. He couldn't get past me for some reason throughout the whole practice and he called me the N word, you know, but I will say something. He, he was a, to me, he's such a man of character. And the reason is because he came back to me. I didn't hear him for the N-word, but he came back to me and said, I just want to let you know that I said the N-word. I don't even know where that came from, um, but I called you that, and I just want to apologize for calling you that. And I was like, I don't remember you calling me that, but let's go ahead and keep playing soccer. Um, and I wanted to talk about this. I don't have the same, I don't believe I have the same perspective as um, most Black Americans. I can't speak for all most. Um, and that's because I, I'm, I'm technically a Nigerian. I have that background. That is my cultural perspective. That's my cultural lens. And so when people call me the N-word, it doesn't bother me because it doesn't it doesn't carry the same history to me um, as it may if someone who's, you know, Black American. Um, and so for me, you can call me that word, but it doesn't, it, I don't feel degraded by it. But I also think to myself, I don't feel degraded by it because I don't see myself as that word you're calling me, right? I see myself as a, at a different value, a different word. So what are you trying to degrade me doesn't really work. Um, also, I was bullied for so many years of my life, and I shed a lot of tears. I'm done shedding tears, and I said, <laughs> no one is going to degrade me ever again, no matter who it is. Um, and I'm going to you know, know my worth and my fight and keep pushing forward. Um, and then lastly, uh, this is my last point. I, I always believe that there's a certain level of ignorance needed in order to do great work. Um, and I say in that in the, in the aspect of if I'm always looking for racism, personally, I will find it. And that's a lot to that's a lot to bear, I believe, for anybody because it's it's, it's it just keeps entering you, and it's, it's I'm not gonna say feeding you, but it can alter a lot of things. So if I if I'm looking for it, I probably will find it. But if I'm a little bit ignorant to it, but I'm aware, but I can be aware of it in the same situation and know how to respond to it accurately, I can better attack it, right? So if someone says something that's racist, you know, my me playing ignorant can allow me to talk to them in a different manner, potentially get to the root of why they're calling me that and decide whether or not do I want to continue any kind of relationship with this human being or not. They yeah, I can say, okay, this person has no understanding of anything. They don't want to understand. Um, more importantly, they don't want to understand. Therefore, I need to distance myself. Or this person is really, they really just don't know. And they're really looking to get better. And this person is someone that can potentially call an ally in the future. So this is someone that will would look to nurture potentially. Um, I'm not here to save the world, um, but you know, just to do my part. So for me, I've seen it um, in the in the macro and in the micro. Uh, it's a lot. It shocked me the first time I saw. It, I'll be honest, but thank goodness for the training that I had to be able to respond accordingly, in different ways. Um, but then uh, knowing my value, knowing my worth, allowed me to better attack them. And that's time. And then, honestly speaking, I think it's levels to it. There's certain things that if I saw it, I can't. I can't do nothing for it. You know, this is this person is far too gone for me. I, I'm not the tool to, to handle this problem. Um, but then there's but with time I've I've gained um, much more strength and endurance in different ways to tackle certain things. Um, but I'm not always looking for it. But I am always prepared prepared if it happens.
Thank you, Chib. What about you, Krishanda? Yeah, and just to add in, I think I've had kind of a very different perspective and different experience with outward racism growing up. I've always been in diverse communities, so I'm not the only person of color or minority growing up. It's either, I know like my my elementary middle school was like half and half, half white people, half people of color. So I've been exposed kind of in a very, I'm not going to say a very good way, but it, it's been integrated nicely. Um, I haven't experienced outward racism until I became an adult, uh, specifically during election time um it's been super crazy where i i went to school for graduate school is kind of like backwoods north carolina so they had a lot of trump rallies and my one of the most prevalent experience or the one that comes to mind is i accidentally got kind of mixed up i'm not gonna say mixed up it was a trump rally going on and I pulled off to the side of the road to like let everybody pass. Like I don't want to be caught in the middle of anything. And they saw that I was black. And just because of me being black, they were calling me the N word, sticking up their middle fingers. And I was like, is that necessary? Like, that's not necessary at all. And even like last summer throughout all the protests, I remember I would go to protest and have like black lives matter mask. And that's, my mask. Like I would wear that grocery shopping and different things. And when they saw that, they would be like, white lives matter too. Or like just saying different things. And I'm like, I didn't provoke this. I am just speaking for what I believe. Um, all lives matter, but specifically black lives matter in that. Um, you can't make me think differently. Uh, if you haven't seen the recent news, like all of that. Um, so it's been interesting. And I've had a lot of microaggressions at the graduate level, specifically with some professors. Like I said, mid-election, um, even before the election, it was one professor specifically. I remember she slipped up one time when we were talking about like different data and statistics and she said colored. And I was like, um, excuse me, that's not how we're referred to now. You can call us African-American. Like I had to speak up, but not try to be so confrontational with her about it. Um, I don't know if it was on purpose because it was only two black people in a class with like 30 people. So I wasn't sure about that, but I'm just now starting to experience racism as an adult. So trying my best to combat that. But I know for me, the biggest thing is how do I get the message across without seeming confrontational or like the angry black woman with everything? Um, so it, it's been interesting for me thus far. Well, you just took us two different places. Um, in your answer just now, Krishanda, um, I was going to ask, what has this season of heightened racial, um, heightened mm -hmm. racial discourse um, that um, that the white awakening, whatever that is, and um, all the things, what has that been like for you in the white spaces that you've been traveling in? It's been interesting. I am more aware of things now that I wasn't aware of before. Like I knew the KKK existed um, and different things like that. But now I'm more aware of my surroundings uh, just with the rise of, 
how do I say it? Like with the election cycle, there's still people here with all of their Trump flags. Um, it's crazy because my current apartment complex, they're known, I didn't know this before moving in, but they're known for like being Trump supporters, outward Republicans. And it's like, what can I do to combat that? Like I, I'm in this space how can I move forward? But it's also interesting because in this season, I've had so many friends who would have to quit their job because of different microaggressions or outward racism, um, specifically with differing views. I have a few friends who uh, do nannying on the side and many of the families that they nanny for are were Trump supporters and they made that known like they were nice to the to her but they made their opinions known and so they were like I feel uncomfortable now I'm gonna have to remove myself from the space mm. mm -hmm. anybody else want to chime in thanks Prashanta on um what the racial reckoning and George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and the election cycle and white lash and all of that stuff. Anthony, I see you trying to speak. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll actually chime in. So uh, as I mentioned, I do work in uh, for the White House. I work in the Office of Records Management, um, Executive Office of the President, or EOP for short. And so I'm in the thick of D.C., right? Um, I think about witnessing the events of January 6th. And thankfully, I was teleworking that day. It was basically a lot of updates on my phone and uh, on my computer and on my iPad and part of me was just was horrified because it, it's like we it's almost like you know we may be in the 21st century but how much progress have we actually made um but the other half of me was like are, why are we surprised like this yeah. is all, all Trump did was bring to light what has been hiding for 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 decades yeah and True. You know, now that it's out and people think they can get away with it again, you know, I worry about how much harder the you know we and our allies, whether they be fellow black people, fellow people of color, or even in some cases, mm -hmm. uh, fellow white people, are going to have to do because I think I don't like saying this, but I, you know, at what point do people just stop listening to words because one thing about Republicans, it's a gross stereotype, but they love guns. And, you know, with Texas especially loosening requirements on owning firearms, even though it has been the site of some of the most, you know, wor the worst national tragedies in recent memory, I, I'm just like, something is go something's going to have to give. Like, there has got to be a clamp down somewhere or things are going to get... It, it, just so much worse before they have a chance of getting better. And, you know, I have family, I have a little bit of family in Texas. I have family in Tennessee. I have family friends in Georgia. You know, I went to Mississippi for my, a cousin's wedding uh, not too long ago. And I worry for them because I know, you know, they're just, they have children. They've been moderately successful. They're trying to live their lives. And, you know, I, I, I lose peace of mind you mm. know, knowing that they have to contend, you know, possibly with these people who believe lies and 
you know, believe that something that was never threatened is now at risk of being overtaken by something that doesn't exist. And it, it, it just comes back to how far are we going to have to go to defend not only our lives and homes, but those of our families and loved ones. It's, a, it's an interesting thing, Anthony. Um, uh, I did an episode, um, I don't know, uh, maybe early January, Black Man with a Gun. And people talking about increasing their use, um, increasing their arms because of their concerns about how far is this going to go. And so you don't stand alone with that. Troy? Um, yeah. Um, it's probably about some good things for me. I'm very vocal. I I am very vocal. Um, over, you know, the past 22, almost 23 years of my life, I have figured out how to um, address things in a certain way. Um, so you're not being confrontational or, or you're not being so confrontational, you know, Krishanda brought up the idea of an angry black woman, but for me, you know, being in white spaces and someone bring, you know, uh, the microaggressions, macroaggressions, racism in general, um, that's a respect thing for me. So no matter where I'm at, it's not okay. I'm probably going to address it. You know, that's where I'm at. Um, so that's just one thing that, you know, listening to um, Anthony Korshanda, um talking like that, I, you know, thought about, it. I'm very vocal about um, things all the time. Now, for some reason, well, not for some reason, it's not unknown, but at the height of everything, you know, right in the middle of George Floyd, I got text messages upon text messages upon text messages from my white friends. Um, I don't what are you apologizing for? Hey, you didn't do it. Thank you for letting me know that you're there to support me, but you didn't do it. So what are you, what are you there, um, you know, apologizing for? A lot of them wanted to check in on my mental space, which was fine, you know, but this has been going on for years. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of us have not recovered from Trayvon Martin. So where- Never mind, his killer didn't get punishment. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so where, where were you then? Um, you know, you want to have a real conversation with me about race, let's have it. Um, or, you know, you want to be there and make sure that I know that you're an ally, which, you know, for most of these people I've been friends with for years, I had never doubted the fact that you're an ally. Thank you for texting me. Um, but what does it mean in practice? What are you mm-hmm. actually doing besides sending me this mm-hmm. text message? Um, what are you actually doing instead of, you know, just being performative? Um, so in the... I. I think I went through like two weeks of long paragraph text messages and it was, you know, insane. Uh, and the Instagram posts, the, the blackout Tuesday, you know, I, I let's, let's actually put pen to paper. Well, how are you addressing it in these spaces? And I've brought that up with my friends, especially mm-hmm. in the past few years. You know, if I wasn't here right now and somebody was being racist, what would you say? I've blatantly asked, what would you say? Would you address it or would you just be Okay. Um, and I like to think that I surround myself, uh, with people that would address it, that would say something. I've had a few people tell me, you know, I'm just not confrontational like that. I don't think it's right. I would remove myself from the situation and probably not say anything. Um, and I appreciate their honesty. I appreciate their honesty, but what about those text messages you were sending me, Miss Girl? You're sending me those text messages. So if you're an ally, you're a true ally, what are you doing to show me that? Um, 
so so that's been you know just a big part of existing now i have friends that are republican i'm from north carolina uh it's not uncommon i do have friends that are republican um and we've had some hard conversations about race i've had you know people have been friends for a long period of time try and talk to me about you know former president trump um and you know when every time they tell me that they're a trump supporter i look at them and tell them no you're not (laughs) You're not. And let's let's talk about facts. I actually do every single time. I have you know people's parents. I'm very friendly with people say, you know, oh well, this this this. You're not a Trump supporter. I'm going to tell you why you're not a Trump supporter too. Because you believe in X Y Z, right? Okay. See, so then you don't believe in this, 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 and this. And it's just having real conversations. I've never personally felt like. Oh, this is my job. You know, a lot of people talked about how they felt fatigued with feeling like they had to inform people. Hey, if they don't know, if you're not having these conversations with them, how will they know? Although Google is free. Google is free. But if there are yeah. people that you consider to be your friends, which I do have people that that I consider to be friends with that are, you know, Republicans and have and think I'm going to say think because they're not. They think that they're Trump supporters having real conversations and being um, armed to have those real conversations has been an, a huge um, factor for me in these past few years. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's... Uh, I want to. Who, who was trying to chime in? Go ahead. That uh, Troy brought up. She she met she mentioned Blackout Tuesday. I, this is part of the reason why I don't I no longer have social media because you know I, I, never mind. It's just frustrating to just keep up with. I I, I can't stand it. But um. Things like Blackout Tuesday. It's can like, you explain for our older it, listeners what the heck is Blackout Tuesday? I can explain it. It's an Instagram. Okay, so actually, I think it was everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. They did a. They posted a black screen. I did it too. They put it is still up on my page. If you deleted it, that's performative uh, action. Okay, it didn't fit with your aesthetic. But anyways. Um, it was just a black screen and you said Black Lives Matter. A bunch of people added this emoji and it was just supposed to be um, in in solidarity with black people and their, right. you know, struggle and what was going through. So it's just a plain black screen, hashtag Blackout Tuesday. And um, it was supposed to be that your feed was completely nothing else. You didn't think about anything else on that day um, because it was just all black and you took the time to reflect on what was happening in the country. Go ahead, Anthony. Thanks, thanks for that. Um, and I think, and then we're getting to the heart of the issue because that that kind of stuff, it shouldn't just be a trend. It should be a societal change that people want to make. And as long as it's reduced to just a trend that just lasts a day or a few days, a week, and, this, and these things keep happening, it doesn't mean a single thing. It, it, to me, it doesn't. I, I think about, you know, these innocent, you know, black folks being killed or being maimed and just so few getting justice. It's it's like, you know, no matter who we are, it, it doesn't it doesn't just some of them. They don't discriminate. Look at Sandra Bland and Botham Jean. They were college educated and they're both dead. You know, Jordan Davis is one of the few to get justice. And I guarantee you the only reason his killer got life was because he wasn't a cop. And. Another good thing about it is his mother is now in Congress, but her son should not have had to die for that to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we're, you know, taking more uh, action, you know, with recording things and making sure people know 
what is going on via social media. I'm thinking that part is wonderful and probably should have been, you know, more in place from the beginning because that to me saves lives. But as long as Black Lives Matter is just a trend and not a philosophy that is consciously adopted by people, then, then it's lip service. That's what it is. Glorified lip service. And that does that doesn't do anything to me. Yeah, and I very much agree. This is Dr. Chib. I very much agree with what you're saying, Anthony, as well as you, Troy, um, and, and Krishanda. And for me, I like I like how the conversation is a little bit shifting towards like solutions. How do you, instead of being a trend in your life, how do you consistently show this? Um, so, for example, whether it's talking to people and being ready to have those conversations, um, I think that is important. I even suggested once to, to some of my friends, just have like a, a, a I don't want to say a pamphlet or a brochure, but have like a list of things ready. So when you're too tired to have the effort to explain to people certain things, say, hey, just go ahead and read up on this uh, and enjoy that. And then uh, talk to me when you're ready. Things of that nature. Um, for me, uh, it's, it's multifaceted, honestly. Uh, first of all, I did turn up on social media, but it wasn't because of Black Lives Matter or things of that nature. It was really because I needed to finish my doctorate and I didn't want to have the distraction. <laughs> so I was writing my dissertation, I turned it off. But during that period, I had so little stress. Yep. And I didn't realize how much social media was affecting mm. my mental health and my, well, and my emotional well-being. Um, and I was and the only reason I turned social media back on uh, was two, two, two parts, just to announce that I've graduated and that I'm married. Um, that was the only one reason. The other reason was because my businesses are on Facebook and I, somebody has to be the administrator for those accounts. So, <laughs> so those are the only, only ones. Um, but my wife, she's big on, you know, Black Lives Matter. That is, that is her life and she continues to live it every single day. Um, and one way that we do this is through how we spend our money, right? So when we got married, we said, we need to find every single opportunity to give money to a black business, right? So our DJ was black, our food vendor was black, our decorator was black, our pastor was black, our notarizer was black, our um, who was our photographer and videographer was black. So we worked very, very hard to make sure every single dollar was going to a black business because we believe, you know, if if that's how we live our life, we're conscious of it. Um, it just becomes like breathing. You know, it's just the natural thing we just start to do um, take some work. Um, I will say during this whole political time, um, for me, this started before Trump. It started when Kaepernick took the knee, honestly, the, the conversations. Um, I was in an office and... That was not, pro, that was not pre-Trump. That was during the Trump. It was. It was. But that the real mm-hmm. conversations, I think a lot of times Trump, in the beginning, Trump was such a, this can't be real. And we were still like, this got to be a, a, a dream nightmare situation. Before it was like solidified, like, oh, this is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they really escalated. But when Kaepernick took a knee, it, it, that's when um, the conversations for me started happening. Because people didn't understand, like, how could someone take a knee towards the American flag? Right? And then, but you're now, your system, your, your, the way you see the world is now challenged. And so now you're going to push back against it. So that's just a natural reaction. And just the reasons that they gave, oh, that's your employer. They set the rules. It's like you're looking for cop-out reasons not to address the real issue, which is America has not lived up to the promise at a gate, right? The land of the free. 
right? It did not live up to the promise, and it still doesn't live up to the promise, and you don't want to address that. And then you made it a military situation. It's not a military situation. Let's be very clear. The military does not own the flag. The flag is not owned by any one person or group of people, right? It's something that's a collective that's supposed to represent everybody who lives in this country. So that's number that's number two. And honestly speaking, this is an unpopular opinion. I did not ask you to go to the military and fight for my fight for anything. I didn't ask you to do that. You you chose and decided to do that. I appreciate it, but it does not mean I have to bow down to you like you're a god. And so that's that. So that becomes problematic to me when you and um in that regards. Um, so. Then going forward, the pandemic was actually a blessing in, in many ways as much as it was a curse because it forced people to now you have to sit here and look at this. You can't, there's no excuse that I got work, your, your job fired, you're furloughed, you can't work. So now you got to look at this. There's no excuse that you got to run these errands. You can't run the errands because that thing might kill you outside called the pandemic. All right, it might murder you. So you can go ahead and sit down. You got to watch this TV, you got to watch this black man get murdered. Because when we've been telling you about this long time ago, you don't want to listen to us, and now you have to listen to us because you got nothing else to do. And the TV, and the news stations, all they talk about is COVID, 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 and they need something fresh. They're gonna put George Floyd on TV, and they had to, they had to, because they had to make some money somewhere. And so now, now it's in your face. Now you have to address it. Now all these things that you've been pushing down and pushing down and pushing down and hiding from, now it's all in your face and it's all splurged out like thrower. Right now, you have to address this thing and try to find a way to clean it up. And so, the first thing you want to do is potentially, you know, contact people and call them and apologize. Things of the nature. And I understand where you come from, Troy, in terms of you know why you're apologizing. I could appreciate that. But I have some. But I think there's a there's layers to the apologies. Personally, where it's I apologize for not being more willing to fight when it was not popular. You know, I apologize, and that's where when they can take that apology, then now you've opened the door, and I'm going to challenge you and push you further. Right now, you, now this can't be a trend anymore. I'm gonna to have to for, find a way to get you going. So, can I push back? Can I push back a little bit on this? Um, because I, I've heard each of you talk about educating people and being in an educative role. Mm-hmm. Is there a time when that is not appropriate, according to uh, how you process this? Um, you know, I one of the things that. I've lived by because I've heard, you know, my parents say it nonstop is if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Um, and so is there an educated time all the time or is that I'm going to address you right now? Because some things people just know, like, let's say like, okay, the N word, right? You're calling me that, you know, exactly what you're doing there. I'm not going to sit here and try and educate you. I'm probably going to say something to you because that's a form of disrespect to me, Right. Um, it just depends, I think, on the relationship for a lot of people, the relationship. Do you care? Are, are you having this conversation or do you feel like you need to educate this person because you care about the relationship and you want to see the relationship, you know, continue? And you think that if they know that hmm, that's a microaggression, don't say this, it's very triggering, whatever, um, that you'll be able to still have that relationship. Or, you know, is it a random person off the street? I, and I would like to hear that off from you guys too, because I'm probably not educating a random person off the street. Definitely not. Um, and and in you know work settings and things like that, probably a more meaningful conversation because you have to continue to work with the person. But for me, there's never there are very few moments when I don't feel like I have to say something because again, it's a respect thing. But probably, how can I work with you um, well? And do our job well if I feel like you don't respect me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
You bet. Kashan, do you want to chime in here? I do. To what Troy said, and just to answer your question with the education piece, I personally, I try to educate because what I found a lot of times is that they're just being ignorant. Ignorance is bliss for them. Many times they don't know the historical context of why are we trying to fight for these injustices? Like, do you know how long this has been going on? What what the root cause is? Or try to challenge them. Well, why do you think like this? And many times it's because, well, I was raised like this. Well, let's take a deeper dive into that. Do you truly believe this yourself? Um, Trying to educate and change the narrative for them, for what they have in their heads and what is actually happening. Um, I think that's really important. Do you have any people of color you consider friends? And if if you can, and if you Mm -hmm. tell me the answer is yes, how would you think they would respond if you told them to their face, that is just how you were raised? I can tell you, that most would just mm-hmm. not take that lying down. I know I wouldn't. It's like what Shannon Sharp says, that if you have Black friends and you are, don't understand Black Lives Matter, you don't have Black friends. You happen to know some Black people. Mm-hmm. 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 So it's it's interesting, this educative piece, because I there's a part of me that is wondering if there's a generational piece to it. Um, because now... I'm a social justice educator. I speak at probably 20 universities last year or more around issues of equity, diversity, and inclusion, right? And and so that is something that I get paid to do. And there are moments that I feel like you should just know and that your privilege is showing up mm-hmm. by not knowing. And I, Troy said it earlier and Google it. We Google what the distance is from point A to point B mm-hmm. and who won the first Oscar for whatever and baseball stats. And so I, I think to me, if people are invested and engaged and want to know that they will do the work and prioritize what's important to them. And that doesn't mean that I never say anything in those settings. Um, but what it does mean is that I am highly choiceful about how I use my voice. Dr. Stacy, I'd like to. Yes. You, you, you brought up a good point um, about white privilege. And I think my, part of uh, my concern is, you know, they now there's a tendency to get defensive when we tell people to check their privilege or to even consider that their privilege may or may not exist. Because, you know, oh, you know, I, I say, like, I'm white. I was born poor. Are you seriously telling me, like, that I haven't had it hard. I'm like, we're not saying that. Not at all. Because you don't understand what the definition of white privilege actually is. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you you uh, people are going to be born hard, you know, into hard circumstances, no matter what their race, no matter what their creed, no matter what yeah. their background. We get that. That's been established. I think the issue comes in where when they don't understand or want to understand that white privilege means that there are some things that because of the color of their skin and the history of this country, they will never have to face, nor will their children have to face it. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, it's white privilege doesn't say that you've never struggled, but what it does mean is that you haven't struggled because of your race. Yes. And, and those are, are two different things. It's interesting because I think you are right that there's a certain amount of white fragility yep. mm-hmm. that happens when you start talking about white privilege. 
And um, I can remember doing a training for some university and um, one of the folks in the audience saying um, that he believes that it's really important for people of color to use another word other than privilege because it makes people uncomfortable. And he had these data that he used. And what I asked him is, tell me more about that. Like, uncomfortable, what do you mean? Well, it's people get swirly. And I said, well, uncomfortable for whom? Mm. And he reluctantly said, white people. And, you know, I feel like this. For 400 years, we've had some discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. Your Mm -hmm. discomfort in this discrete setting for a couple hours is okay. Right. Two more questions to ask. Um, one is about strategy. And so I, I, I want you to think about what are the top two or three things that you do to help you thrive in white spaces? First thing. I, and, you were t- you, and you're telling other 20-year-olders that. First thing I'd say, especially d- depending on where you work, get rid of, get rid of social media. For me, because that you know, that is just going to put more pressure on you to kind of, you know, to, to say something. And in, in some cases you should, but you don't want to get so riled up <laughs> that it could cost you opportunities or even your job. So, well, okay. That's so great that Troy almost passed out when you said that. And because, you know, social, as social human beings, I get it. You know, we have to, you know, be connected with family and friends. That's not my argument. Our argument is you need to get rid of potential dead weight. Um, my second thing is, you know, if these people, if people that you know, uh, whether in your job or in your personal lives, if they are taking these stances, even if they're your own family, you, you, you need to correct them at first politely and if they continue to do it, then, you know, you can start moving into how forcefully you want to do it. Because I'll be honest with you, my, uh, a lot of my family is in Tennessee, and one of my uncles voted for Trump. And for the life of me, I don't know why, but, it, you know, he was like, he, he was basically based off, he thought, you know, Hillary couldn't do a, a good job and or, or something or other. We don't really talk to him a lot, but, you know, and... I, I, I just asked my father, you know, what did, what did you do? Did you talk to him about why this is so concerning? And I, he, he told me no, because they're not that close anymore. And I'm just like, I get it, Dad. But you have to realize what, you know, your, your, your older brother is helping to perpetuate, even unknowingly. And we, we have to root that out. We have to nip that in the bud or... You know, it's going to keep happening and we're going to not only, you know, lose people who we could once have called friends, but we're going to lose our families. And Mm. I don't think that's a place that any of us wants to be in. Well, it's interesting because there are stories of people, of family members who have lost contact or relationship with family members because of people's unbridled um, um, following of um, Trump. Trumping, which is different than to me being a Republican, um, right. and QAnon and right. um, Proud Boys and um, all the all the things. Concerning, so Troy, before yeah. you, before I know, you pass I know. Out, before you pass out, I just want to <laughs> you know, let you talk a little bit. Wait, now 
Okay, I'm sorry, Anthony. This is the thing. All right, our our life experiences have shaped each, you know, all four of us here on this call. So, you know, that's what Anthony feels like, you know, is what, that's his advice he's giving. I have social media. I'm pretty successful. And and I have no problem um, deleting people off my social media. I love a good Facebook site. You know what? Because, and again, I've, I've talked about this before. It's all about respect for me. I no, no one wants to lose a family member. No one wants to, you know, not have friendships. I don't want that. But at the same time, me being ignorant to what your thought process is and what you believe in. I mean, if I believe that um, you should, you know, bring your dog in every single night and I really stand firm on that position and another person doesn't believe that, well, you know, you can have a conversation about it. But if, if we're talking about values here, who do you want to align yourself with? I don't want to lose anyone that I'm that I consider a friend. But if you don't value the same thing as me, you know, if you're if you don't uh, think that me advocating for my rights as a human being is worthy of your time, or you're you know dismissing it on Facebook, no, I don't. I'm glad I know. Actually, I'm really glad I know because if you don't align with what I'm thinking and what I'm doing, I mean, you got to protect your peace out here. So I would rather right. know. I'm on social media. I would rather know. Oh, that's how you are. Let me just unfollow you. There we go. And and it's and it's bigger than that for a lot of people. But you know, for me and thriving and in, in, I'm always myself. I'm very authentic to who I am. Um, I would say the biggest piece of advice is um, don't feel like you have to be bullied in these spaces. Don't feel like you just have to right. take whatever's there because you are there. Now, I'm not saying you know, curse Sally out. But I would say, <laughs> take it to human resources if you feel like you need to. We're in a new age. Um, we're in a new time. And if you feel like it's going to interfere with how well you're working, even if you're not even in a workspace, if you're out there listening and you are still in college, I mean, there's definitely professional spaces in college. Um, don't feel like you have to be bullied. You have to just deal with whatever it is. Like, use your voice. Um, because if you don't say anything, who will, how, how is it going to be addressed? Um, mm. if you never say anything, uh, a quick add on Troy, um, I, I agree completely with going to HR, but go with receipts because HR is not there to protect you. Mm -hmm. They aren't. Yeah. That's well said. We did an episode on, um, with somebody who used to work in HR and, and was a, a CDO who talked about don't even have a conversation without receipts. That's good. I'm going to go next, Korshanda, so that you can have the last Who's word. Who's next? So everyone can remember your voice. So, <laughs> so uh, um, yeah, for me, I think I'm going to give a, a three, three or four things. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things. I think number one, uh, not number one, but before I say it, every approach is going to be different and it's going to be based on the individual person. You know, so for some people, you got to turn off social media. For other people, you got to use social media. So everyone has a role to play um, and just finding out what's your role and how to best play that role. But number one, for me, uh, I believe it's important to uh, know your value, know your worth. So in any space that you go into, you have to believe that you belong in that space, period. All right. Number two, it's very important to um, be ready, to be prepared. So if there are certain things that you may think that you need to address in the, uh, in the future, you know, read up on those things and be ready to talk about those things in a good manner. 
Um, but also in, in terms of being ready, it's not just about talking about those things, but also listening to people, you know, people who have different perspectives than you. And one thing I like to say is listening does not mean you agree with anybody. I could listen to you for two hours. Like professors I've listened to for a long time, listening, I agree with anything that they say, right? It just means I'm learning from your perspective a little bit. And a lot of times in my experience, once I listen to someone, they're much more willing to listen back to me. We can find some agreement potentially in some spaces. Uh, and then last but not least, did I already say protect your peace? I said know your word. Okay, good. Protect your peace. Do not feel guilty for enjoying life. That's what, that's one of the things that um, that I had to learn, right? If I go out and have fun, I, can, I should not feel guilty. Yes, a lot of people have died unjust, unjust deaths, and you know, those people look like me. And it's not my job to be melancholy for the rest of my life. You know, to fight for something that's righteous, to fight for justice, does not mean that I have to be gloom and doom every day and every second of the day. It's not going to work. You have to be willing and ready to enjoy those good times because we're fighting to live, right? And so in that regards, you know, actually live a little bit um, so that your mental health is strong. And when you go to certain spaces, you're, you're ready and you're fresh, you know, to be able to tackle some of those tough conversations. Those would be my three things. Uh, so one of the things that I do personally is I am, for me personally, I am a very spiritual person. So whenever I'm approaching a new situation, a new space, um, especially if I know I'm one of the only people of color, I pray about it. I pray about any and everything, um, making sure that my mental health is there, top tier, uh, is one of the things that I also do. Um, another thing that I do when approaching white spaces, I don't know if anyone else does this, um, but I've noticed this with many of my friends, especially when starting a new position, new job, if you're taking a course or still in school, uh, try to find an ally. So uh, typically look for another person of color in that space um, who you can share some lived experiences with, uh, get knowledge about the company. If there's microaggressions, they may know about a diversity and inclusion program, uh, different things like that. I know that's what I do personally um, because you're going to need somebody. You don't want to be the only person there and having all of these hardships on your own. Um, so finding another person of color uh, typically helps out with all of that. So um, I love it. So this is a question that I ask everybody. Um, and I get mixed reviews on it all the time, but I'm anxious to hear how four 20-somethings millennials would handle this question. What's the one thing that white people can do to make the country more equitable and inclusive? Wow. Do you have all day? Um, <laughs> so one thing. So I think first, um, I think it's I'm gonna use something basic because I I um if if you consider LinkedIn social media, that's the one thing I do have for professional reasons. Um, but I came across an article the other day, seeing saying that people with black names are still much less likely to get called back or hired at the, you know than people with white names. And mm -hmm. that is a concern in the 21st century that should not be there. So, you know, you have to look at the resumes. You, 
actually look at the content of the resume, actually look at, you know, what the person has done to prepare themselves for this role, you know, ask yourself, are we going to be discriminating against this person just because we may not like how their name sounds? Are they qualified? Sure. If they're qualified, you know, why should it matter how their name sounds? If you can't pronounce it, they'll correct you. Mm-hmm. It's, it should, it's not rocket science. Gotcha. Great. So what I, what I hear you saying, um, Anthony, um, pretty what's underneath or on top of what you're saying mm. is that to really be aware of your biases yes, and how they might interplay with how you interact yes. with the workforce. Yeah. Yep. Objectively be mm-hmm. aware of your, your biases. Mm-hmm. Who'd like to go next? No, I was just going to piggyback off of what Anthony said, because that's very interesting. But I don't know if we have enough time to talk about that. Just with the name like Krishanda, I have sure. personally experienced that. And I was thinking while you were saying that the one thing that I've noticed, every person that I have not necessarily been hired by, but interviewed by has been a person of color. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that is very interesting, even in a professional level most of my supervisors, granted, the t- entire team may be white, but my supervisor may be the only person of color. Um, wow. So that's also very interesting that you state that. Uh, but you can go, Dr. Chit. Cool. Um, I was going to, I think the one thing that you know, white people can do is invest and uh, invest your money, invest your time, invest your patience, invest your expertise, invest your access, invest, 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 um, whatever you can invest. Um, and then, and then watch everything grow, watch everything multiply in a way. And everybody, I think everybody will be able to then for the E. And investment means, you know, you have to be present. You can't be, invest from just across the country. But invest, to invest your time and your presence, you know, in the space, um, you're going to naturally learn the condition of another person, naturally hear their stories and appreciate them for who they are. But, you know, where you put your money is where you put your, you know, what's important. Right. That's why I said invest. Yeah. No, I think one of the things that they can do to make, the country more equitable and speaking just in the terms of being an ally if you're going to be an ally not only be it whenever there are people of color around be it in private be with your family even if they have differing views because that's how you can change mindsets and uh different acts of racism don't only be an ally when it truly matters be an ally all the time in any circumstance mine is less to do with you know like necessarily just white people and more so like the systems that all that uh, exist that are predominantly white um and I would you know like representation matters um I know that at my PWI there are very few black faculty black professors things like that why is that you know why are we not incorporating and you, we we see it now okay uh the the commercials on the television or adding a few black housewives to that's the bare minimum the bar is very low um i would like to see way more integration of of people of color um specifically of black people into everything um i think that you know having those voices um to add a different perspective in the room is so important or even, you know, for people to look up to and aspire to be is so important. Um, and I think that not having that representation um, is a big factor in, 
and certain mindsets. Um, they don't see it. So they're, who do you think you are walking into this room thinking you're going to this Where? Well, if you see it, what do you mean? What, you can't tell me that I can't do it. Um, you can't tell me that I can't achieve it because you're seeing it in real time. If they're not seeing it, they're not, they're not seeing it in real time. It's not making the connection. So I think um, adding more representation into everything is, is super important. Well, and I think that to me, that's also a, just a good business decision that the more diverse your perspectives are in the room, the better decision-making can happen mm -hmm. because the more, mono, yeah, the mo more monolithic. I mean, I think there've been some things and like some marketing campaigns you think to yourself, yeah. was nobody black or brown in the room? So one one last question. No. Promise, this is the last <laughs> one. Um, I appreciate your time. What is the one thing, as you think about, race in America and our future, what are you hopeful about? I'm hopeful about uh, about the next generation. And I'm also hopeful about our generation, honestly, um, because I see people who want to fight. I see that fire, that passion. Um, but more importantly, I see the sacrifice. I see people who are willing to give up certain right. things, certain comforts um, in order to see other people succeed. I see people who are willing to give up certain comforts in order to see, and, I, and I'm talking about black, white, Latino, Asian, all across the spectrum. They want to give up certain things for themselves um, so that others can, can thrive and they can eat. Um, and, they can, and they're willing to do it in the long run. You know, uh, honestly speaking, I know what it means to be poor. I still do. I mean, <laughs> but, <laughs> but because I know what it means to be poor, I've gotten a certain level of resilience where I can, you know, it's not easy for you to buy, buy my morals. You know, I don't even think it's possible. Right. Because I know how to live poor. Right. I can figure this out in a different avenue. And so because of that, because of that, I can make certain sacrifices, even though it's going to hurt. But I can make it much easier because I don't know what it means to be rich. <laughs> and I've never tasted that. And it's going to be very difficult for me to be enticed by that. Uh, and so that becomes a benefit. So for some of us in that in those situations, uh, there's a different fight, you know, inside of us. And I'm very hopeful and that makes it very hopeful and very energetic. Say you know, continue on because if I believe this, I better live like I believe it. So I I'll, I'll actually follow up on Dr. Chib. That's a very good point. You know, um, I, I'll, I'll phrase it another way hush money doesn't work anymore. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I, I, I may work for the White House, but it's, it, you know, I, I, it's not like I'm getting paid a six, a six figure salary. I'm an analyst. You know, I, I love what I do, but, you know, that doesn't mean I, I, I don't have to budget. You know, but if you were, you know, if you told me, if my bosses told me it, they'd pay for me the rest of my life for me to shut up and not say anything about what currently befalls, you know, people who look like me and all of you in this country, I, I, I respectfully, I'd respectfully tell them where they could stick that money because it's, it's too, my life is more important than your money, you know, it, it and that's, um, part of what I'm hopeful for as well. You know, we're, we're willing to not just fight, but we're willing to, to, to let our, to, to let it be known that we're, you know, we'll pass this on, you know, this, they're trying to get rid of all this stuff that needs to be fought for in schools that, that they're doing that to me, they know they're they're They are on the losing side of history and they're going to continue to be like that as long as they push forward with this. So my, my, I am hopeful 
that you know we may have to work a tiny bit harder to make sure our children and our grandchildren know what we and our parents and our grandparents went through but you know we're saying no more we're, you know we are making it known so that you know they can not only take the reins when our time is up but they can enjoy the prosperity that our grandparents didn't enjoy our parents didn't enjoy and even some of what we may not enjoy so and I want to piggyback off of that because that was both of those are really good points. And I want to kind of elaborate on that. I think the one thing that makes me really hopeful, especially about our generation and the generation under us, is that we hold people accountable mm -hmm. for their actions um, in any circumstance. I know that social media is really big. So seeing people and people may act a certain way in public. Well, that's all over the internet right. and they're going to get reprimanded from that in some shape or form, right. especially with cancel culture. So I think that makes me really hopeful with the future. I'm so glad you brought up cancel culture just like oh, really wow. quickly. No, because people say, Oh, I hate, you hate accountability. That's what that, mm. that yes. and you know what you, you, you can spin it a whole bunch of ways, but the truth of the matter is, you hate being held accountable. You don't like that people have to be held accountable now. Um, and that's what cancel culture is to me. One thing I am really hopeful about, though, is our generation, definitely. Um, I, I am so hopeful that there will be change um, because people really want to see it. They're really fighting for it. They're really mm -hmm. out here. I mean, like, even with all the protests, there was some data that was like most of the people that were at the protest were white. This is the most amount of white people that they've ever seen protest in the history of America. And it's like, wow, you know, and, and um, so I think it was Dr. Chit earlier brought up the fact that people had to sit there with it. I hope there's a lot more sitting there with it. Right. And that is what will inspire the change. And that's what I'm hopeful about. Well said. Also, I, I, just as a little thing, um, white people, if you want to really help uh, black people out, uh, go ahead and put the pressure on Biden to cancel all student loans. I would appreciate uh, that. I, yes. I second that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I feel hopeful after this conversation that each of you had so much to say. And not that you had a lot to say because we can pontificate over anything, but what you said was so thoughtful and smart and valuable. And it makes me hopeful that of what's to come, that, um, that you are part of the workforce who will change the country uh, just by being present in the room where it happens. And so I... I am hopeful because of this conversation. All right, y'all take care. Uh, thank thank you. you for inviting me. Good night. Thanks thank again. You so much. Nice to meet everyone. Likewise. Thank y'all for what y'all doing. This episode was edited by Nikki Anderson. Special thanks to our interns, Amanda Gillette, and other contributors. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by David's Delicious delights.com david's delicious delights.com custom made personalized cakes pies cookies and pastries made with a dash of southern flair visit david's delicious delights.com and use the coupon code being the dot 
for 20% off orders of $34.99 or more. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.